Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Welcome, everybody. So we're continuing our series in uh, Joseph. And I took a big chunk of chapter, so I'm going to read some scripture in this section. I'm going to talk us through the story. And Joseph had a dream early on, and in this section of Scripture, his dreams come true. You guys remember what his dream was? His brother, his sister, his father, they would bow down to him. Have you ever had a dream that you really longed for, you really hoped for, right? Someday my prince will come, someday my prince will come. Princess, right? Um, and, and you like have these dreams and you long for them and sometimes you're like, I don't even know how they're going to come true. I remember years ago, I graduated from college and I had this desire to be in the ministry, but it just didn't seem like it was the way the Lord was leading me. And every time I'd be like, Lord, is it time? And I'd get a no. And, and I remember being mad at him. God, if, if you're not going to bring this to pass, just take it away because it's really bothering me, right? And it would go away for a while and come back. And then I remember a church down the road, um, Pastor Martin and I corresponded, and he calls me and he says, hey, Doug, how would you like to come on staff and uh, be a pastor, go through this kind of distance education uh, that leads to ordination and do ministry while you're doing that? And I'm like, wow, I would really like that. That, that would... Uh, that, it's my heart's desire. And I was, I went from like low to really high, you know, when your dream is coming true. And then maybe five weeks later, he calls me back and goes, that's uh, not going to happen. Do you, you know, it's like, what? I wish you hadn't even said anything. And I started reading Job. I said to Gretchen, we were renting, we're buying a house, we buy a house. And then, you know, so many weeks later after buying the house, he goes, it's going to happen. We bought and sold the house in six months, you know. And uh, I know, it's like nuts. Redid the kitchen, regraded the yard in December. Okay. Um, but it, there's something about your dreams coming true that's pretty powerful. And in this section of scripture, Joseph has his dreams come true. It, it goes like this He says, uh, When Joseph, I'm sorry, when Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, so if you, if you were here last week or listened last week or watched last week, you know that there was a famine in the land. So people were getting hungry. And Jacob says to his sons, there, you know, there's grain in Egypt. Uh, why do you look at one another? In a sense, get off your fannies. Uh, he said, there's grain for sale in Egypt. Go down, buy grain for us that we may live and not die. So this is a serious famine. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. I mean, it makes sense, right? You send your one son to go check on his brothers and he doesn't come back. He's holding on tight to this last one. I, I'm, not, I'm not letting this guy go with you guys. I don't trust you. Thus the sons of Israel came uh, to buy among those, among others who came for the famine was in the land of Cana. Now Joseph was a governor over the land, and he was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came, and they bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. You know, um, when I see this, how did God get those boys to Egypt? 
famine. Have you ever thought about how God's moved you in your life? Like, uh, who is it? C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasure. He shouts at us in our pain. You know, there's something about famine, difficulty, suffering, job loss, depression that God can use to move us in his direction. I remember my mom. This is not my mom, but my mom was in a body cast almost identical to this. Hers went up her neck, so she could not move her head. When, when she uh, was laying on her back, she had these prism glasses so she could see down, right? It's like a periscope just connected to glasses. And, and it went all the way down to her knees with properly cut holes in it. And, and my mom had to have people with her for five months, 24-7. So people from church and her friends did the schedule. And one of the ladies from church actually had a Bible study that she uh, started or moved to my mom's house, to our house. And the ladies would get together during the day and study the word of God. And you know, my mom's faith caught on fire at that time. I mean, I watched it. I was not happy about it because my faith was possibly dead, right? But her faith was on fire, and she would preach to us from her body cast, and we'd have to suffer and listen, you know? But there was something that happened that suffering moved my mom to know Jesus even more. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? And Joseph saw his brothers, and he recognized them. But he treated them like strangers, and he spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said to them, they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Joseph recognized his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. Why? Because he looked like King Tut, right? He's got like the Egyptian thing going on, maybe the, who knows, shaved skin. I, I'm not exactly sure what King Tut looked like, but Joseph looked like an Egyptian, had all the markings. And it had been 20 years. Have you ever gone to like a, a reunion and it's been a while since you've been with the people from your class, high school, college, and you look at people and you're like, what? And then they tell you their name and you have like this morph that happens to their faces. You're like, oh, I, yeah, I remember your eyebrows. You know, you know what I mean? Like it's like, they, they, and this is, this is Joseph, 20 years. He changed a lot and, and uh, they didn't recognize him, but he knew them. And Joseph remembered the dream. He's like, my dream came true. And he said to them, you're spies. You've come to see the barrenness, the nakedness of our land. They said to him, no, no, my Lord. Your, your servants have come to buy food. I love this line. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. What is going on in Joseph's heart? Honest men who threw me in a pit, wanted to kill me, right? Yeah, honest men. Your servants have, ne have never been spies. You, uh, he's like, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By, by uh, the Pharaoh's life, you shall not go from this place unless you bring your younger brother. Why would he want to see his younger brother? This is his blood brother. You know, I have to wonder if he thought, I wonder if they knocked him off too. I wonder if they killed him, sold him to slavery. These honest men, sure you're honest men. You probably knocked that guy off too. You know, as I thought about this word, honest men, and I thought about, you ever, you ever have somebody talk about the patriarchs of Judaism? You know, you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then you have the 12 tribes of Israel. And we always think, wow, the heads of those tribes, what righteous dudes are they? 
Well, these are the guys standing before Joseph right now. They sold their brother into slavery. Then they lied to their dad and their family all about it. Great deception. You know, some people say that Jesus was taken and, and uh, taken from the tomb by the disciples, and they all lied. I, I think the lie would have got out, you know? Uh, and we'll see later if their lie got, got out. And it says, um, oh, you know what else happened with these boys? So these boys' sister went wandering in Shechem. And she's out there uh, checking out the city, and one of the Shechemites, probably a very popular uh, man, sees her and says, I want to have her. So it says he humiliated her. Basically, he raped her. And, uh, but he fell in love with her at the same time. And uh, the boys find out about this, and they're infuriated. So two of the boys, uh, Simeon and Levi, go and they meet with the Shechemite and, and he's like, I want to marry your sister. You know, I want to make an honest woman out of her. And, and uh, they're like, well, okay, tell you what, all of you, your whole community, your whole village here have to be circumcised. And if you're circumcised, then we, we can let her marry you. And, and this guy says to all his neighbors and his family members, listen, if we all get circumcised, we'll be like them, their stock, livestock, our livestock. This is a good marriage to have. But these boys are mad. So that whole village circumcises themselves, all the men. And then Levi and Simeon go in there, and they slaughter the men in their weakness. Now, rape is wrong, but the punishment didn't fit the crime, did it? And their dad was really mad at them. And then you have another brother who engaged in... Uh, Incest. He, he slept with his dad's concubine. And then another brother who uh, thought he was getting a prostitute when he was actually getting his daughter-in-law. Now, on one hand, if his, if his boys had all died in that time, they really wanted to have, like, children. So he would have been the one to actually have children with his daughter-in-law if it hadn't happened. At the same time... That wasn't his intent when he found that woman. So these are your honest men. These are your patriarchs. And as I think about it, these are the only things we know right now. But could I say that there probably are a lot of stuff that's not written? Yeah, yeah. So when you think about this, you know what it does for me? There's hope for me. And there's hope for you, right? If God would call and use these scoundrels, if he would make a, a great nation out of these scoundrels, then he can do something with us. He can do something with you. Think of this passage from Corinthians. He says, Paul is writing, he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral or the idolaters nor the adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality nor thieves nor greedy nor drunkards nor revilers nor swindlers. And I think he could go on, couldn't he, with his list. He says, and such were some of you but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. He's saying you were that and now this is who you are. Last night my twin brother said, I found a box and it had a bunch of pictures and patches and things and, and he texted me a picture of us from like, before we went into ninth grade, from a vacation going into ninth grade, I almost put it up, but it would have been so embarrassing, the long hair and all the, the stuff you would see in that picture. And uh, <clears throat> it was definitely a 70s picture. And, and, and that was Doug. 
And maybe when you look at your life, uh, you, might, you might find yourself on this list, you might not find yourself on this list, but what do you know? I'm a new creature in Christ. I, God has made me new. He's washed me. He, these are all things he's done for you, not anything you've done for yourself. He washed you. He set you apart. He made you right with God. I mean, this is the beauty of God. He takes the scoundrels and he loves them. He loves them to death and loves them to life. Now, does this mean that once a scoundrel, not a scoundrel, and you're never a scoundrel again? No. No. Uh, this week I read something about a, a large church pastor who stepped down because he's struggling with the sin of pride. You know what that means? I crush my enemies, right? You get a big church, you have power, somebody comes against you, what do you do? You crush them. I also uh, got a, an email from a, a mission organization that we've supported and, and uh, you know, the, the leader of that organization sinned and and has stepped down, and he did a whole YouTube video of confession, like, to the world. And, and what does that say? Does it mean he wasn't washed, he wasn't sanctified? No, it just means, you know, as Christians, repentance is part of our life, isn't it? Like, God's washed us and gave us a new identity, but it's a thing that we're always growing into. Like we're daily, regularly putting off the old way of thinking and doing and we mess up and we screw up and we say, Lord, forgive me and it keeps us humble and we, we grow into this new identity so someday I won't look like I look like now and neither will you. In heaven, C.S. Lewis said, you might be tempted to worship yourself if you saw you now because you, you'll be new and beautiful in Christ and we're always taking off the old and putting on the new. Well, the scripture goes on, and he's like, do this and you'll live, for I fear God, if you are honest men. Joseph's like rubbing it in their face. Yeah, if you're honest men. Let one of your brothers remain confined where, where you were in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your household. So he wants to care for his household, and he'll send the lion's share of the people back, but he's keeping one behind. Bring the youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did this so. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us. We didn't listen to him. This is why this distress has come upon us. They remember throwing their brother in a pit. And they're having this conversation in front of him, not thinking that he understands them. Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you didn't listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. And then he turned away and he wept. I have to think that maybe Joseph was like, one of them cared about me. One of them tried to stick up for me. And he remembered and he returned to them and he spoke to them. And he took Simeon, who was the violent man who killed the, the village, from them, and he bound him before their eyes, just like Joseph was bound when he was sold into slavery. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in the sack. So he actually gave their money back, and he gave them provisions for the journey, and this was done for them. So Joseph goes through this series of tests, and one of the tests is holding a brother behind, seeing if they'll come back for him, right? And the other test had to do with 
putting their money back in their bags. What are they going to do? They, they rest for the first night and they find that their money is there and they're like, oh no, we can't go back because he wanted us to bring our brother. We go forward, we're, we're in a catch-22. You know, they're, they're stuck. They, they're, they're, they don't know what to do. And I think what Joseph was trying to teach them and learn is that I want to know if Benjamin's alive. Did you kill my brother, right? And I want to know if my brother has been changed. And I think that was part of his test. But what I find fascinating are the things that happened that Joseph didn't even know about because of these tests. It, many times I think, oh, this is what God's doing. And he may be doing this, but he's all, also doing that and that. Like you think God is just bringing you guys together to be married, but you have no idea the other that's that he's doing because of your relationship. Like we don't see it, right? And, and the two things that jumped out at me is, is Joseph thinks he's testing his brothers, but you know what God's doing? God's doing through that test. He's helping Jacob surrender his idol. And he's helping Judah emerge as the lion, the clan leader. Because as you read this story, nobody's leading. Nobody's stepping up. And then all of a sudden, Judah, the fourthborn of Leah, steps up. God's doing something. Hey, Jacob has to surrender his idol. It's interesting. You read 1 John. You read this whole little letter. And how does he end his letter? Love yours truly. No, dear children, keep yourself from idols. There must be something about idols in our heart that's important. Look at the place of Benjamin in the heart of Jacob. Look at this. So they come back, and Jacob, their father, says to them, they, they tell him the story, and he says, you have bereaved me. You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. Now, can I ask this question? I thought a lion, I thought they told him that a, a wild animal killed their, their brother. You know what I think? The secret got out. You had 10 guys keeping a secret. He just tells a wife, a wife happens to tell a, a, a maidservant, somebody, and it doesn't take long before the secret comes back to dad. It's like, you took Joseph, not a lion, and I know it. I'm not letting you have my other son. You've bereaved me of my children. Now you're going to take Benjamin, my precious one? Why is he precious? Because Benjamin's mom died giving birth to him. That was Rachel, the one he truly loved more than anybody else. Those boys were precious. His brother got the coat of many colors. The only one left is Benjamin. He's holding on with all his might. All this has come against me. And Reuben says to him, Father, kill my two sons if I don't bring him back. I love this. Don't kill me. Kill the boys, right? Kill my boys um, on a bad day, right? But he says to him, my sons shall not go down with you for your brother is dead. And he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the way, on the journey that you make, you would bring my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol, the place of the dead. He's like, if, if, if Benjamin dies, it'll rip my heart out, stomp on it, chew it up, spit it. Like, I can't take it. I think Benjamin was an idol in his life. You know, the funny thing about idols, uh, John Calvin said, evil is not typically desiring something bad, but desiring something good too much. It's not loving a bad thing, but elevating a good thing to a God thing, right? It's looking at your child and saying, you define me. 
right? You, uh, it, whatever happens to you happens to me. You vicariously live your life through your children, right? You, you've heard it. You're only as happy as your, happy, as your happiest child, right? And, and you get so connected. I tell parents, take your kids off your resume. They can't bear that. Way too much pressure for them. And I believe that Benjamin was on Jacob's resume. Way too much pressure. And when, when that is what it's, what's going on in your heart, that's an idol. You define me, my child. You know, psychology, Christian counselors will say there's core idols, things that really drive us. Like we like to say money or sex or, you know, things. But really, our core idols are, go along with how we're wired. And, and they're power, control, approval, and comfort. And I think based on how you're wired, and maybe at the time of life or day, these things can be working behind the scenes. I mean, some people may say, well, money is what really drives you. But you may want money for power. Or you may use your money to control people. Or you may use your money so people like you, right? Or you may use your money for comfort. See, see your money will just play into your idol, right? And, and we all have these different idols, and they express themselves in different ways. J.D. Greer said this. He said, if you offer yourself as a slave to approval, your life will be plagued by constant self-pity, envy, hurt feelings, and inadequacy. If you are a slave to comfort, you won't be able to say no to the pleasures of food or sex or drugs or pornography. If you're enslaved to power, you'll become domineering and harsh and abusive. If you're enslaved to control, you'll worry all the time. You'll lose your temper a lot. You'll, or you'll manipulate others to get your way. These are the idols that go within our hearts. And you know what idols do? They promise us stuff, right? If I only have this thing, then I'll be happy, right? That if I can only get that, then I'll be satisfied. And, and idols also consume our resources, right? You, you give money, you spend money on what you love. You know, Joseph had that beautiful, expensive coat. Why? Dad loved him more than all the other brothers. Whatever you love, your resources flow to. Time, talents, treasure. And you know, idols rob us of our joy. Have you ever thought, if I only get this, I'll be happy? And you get it and you're not happy? Or have you ever plowed yourself into something, right? You ever thought, what I really need is just to get drunk. And you get drunk, and the next day you're like, yeah, I, I feel worse today than I felt yesterday, right? What I really need to do is go on a shopping binge, right? And after you go on a shopping binge, you're like, oh, it felt good for a bit, but it's not, it did, right? These are what happens in our idols. I like our, our thing that we say about community hope. We are finding life, hope, and purpose in Christ. You know what? We're always finding it. It's, we're always putting off the idols and putting on the new. And, and, and the only way to do it is an idol is something we worship, something we look to. And we're always reminding ourselves, no, that isn't going to satisfy. That won't satisfy. Jesus, help me to worship you. Help me to make you my number one. And Lord, I can't do it by myself. I need to think about how gracious and kind you are so you do this work in my heart, right? See, we worshiped ourselves into a mess of idolatry. And by God's grace, we'll worship our way out of idolatry. 
So the next thing I see in this passage, these tests bring out Judah as a leader. If you read it carefully, you'll see there's no real leader. They're being asked questions by Joseph and talking to their dad. When Reuben says something to his dad about, you know, my sons, his dad, I think, you know what he's thinking? Reuben, you slept with my wife. It's so hard for me to believe what you're saying. And Judah, though, emerges as a leader. And you know what's always puzzled me? Uh, you, you start in chapter 37 about Joseph. Then you get a whole chapter about Judah having uh, uh, Judah's daughter-in-law dressing like a prostitute and, and actually getting pregnant by Judah and then uh, coming out and saying, I'm pregnant, and Judah's like, kill her. And she's like, no, because it was you who did it. And he says, you were more righteous because he was supposed to let the one son... Uh, marry her and he, he's no I didn't do that so, so you got this kind of weird story in there now if you're Disney or a movie maker you're going wait a minute this does not promote the plot pull this sucker out stick it someplace else nice story on its own but don't stick it in the middle of Joseph because it doesn't promote the plot but as I thought about it I thought wait a minute Joseph's story isn't just about Joseph it's about Judah and as you read on, Judah becomes more and more important. Look at this. It says, And Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me. So the famines happened. They're hungry. They got to go back to get more food. He didn't listen to Reuben. Judah speaks up. Send the boy with me. And we'll arise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and you, also our little ones. And look what he says. This is a picture of substitutionary atonement. He says, I'll, t I'll take, I will pledge his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set before him, I'm sorry, set him before you, then let me bear the blame. This is a little picture of Jesus, right? He's like, I'll do it. Not, don't kill my kids, kill me. Judah starts uh, coming closer. And, and so they come back into the town um, Joseph recognizes him. He, he fills their bags with grain. They have a meal with him. And then he does this ploy where he puts a, a, his own cup in Benjamin's bag, in Benjamin's sack. And he does this whole thing where Benjamin is being blamed for stealing Joseph's cup. They don't even know it's Joseph yet. And Joseph sends, like, the guards to get him and to bring him back for thievery. And they bring him before. They're continuing his brother. And who negotiates? Who negotiates with Joseph? Judah. Judah is not the oldest one. Reuben is the oldest. And then you have Levi, and then you have Simeon. Judah's the fourth one. But Judah's the one who's being raised up here. You've got Judah speaking for his brother. Judah talking to, to Joseph about it. Judah speaks up because Judah is the lineage of Christ. When his dad comes to bless him, at the end of this chapter, he doesn't say nice things about the brothers before Judah. But when he gets to Judah, he says, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Who's he talking about? Your father's sons will bow down to you. 
Oh, you, a lion's cub, O Judah. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff between his feet until he comes to whom it, until he comes to whom it belongs, and obedience of the nations is his. So we're reading all about Joseph, and we're talking all about Joseph, and all of a sudden, the story of Joseph becomes the story of Judah. And I started thinking, so my mom's in a body cast, and she has this on-fire experience, and she's preaching to these boys that are kind of wild junior high kids, and, and yet I didn't forget what she said. And years later, the Lord brought me and my twin brother unto himself and into the ministry. And I started thinking, you know, it was mom's story, but mom's story also became my story. And I told you how I wanted to be a pastor and then how God brought it to happen. That's my story, but my story is more about your story. Like, we think God's doing this, but he's really doing that. Like, what is he doing in your life because he's made me a pastor, Right? Like, he, he's doing something in your story, but it's not so much about your story. It's about his story in the lives of others. Whatever your gifts are, whatever your calling is, whatever your, your work is, whatever your story is, God will use your story to influence other people's story. He'll use the gifts, the talents, all the stuff that you don't even like, all your failures. Your story becomes about somebody else's story. So who was Judah? Well, he was the son of Leah. Because, you know, sometimes when I say that your story is going to be moved, you might go, Doug, you don't know me. You don't know my upbringing. You don't know my past. You don't know my failures. You don't know all the stuff in my life. Well, I think you got a friend in uh, Judah. Judah's the son of Leah. Who's Leah? If you were going to write a, a, a story, I think you'd write it this way. So you've got this, this guy, and he falls in love with Leah, and Leah is the beautiful. She's, she's the princess. And God, through that beautiful princess, that loving relationship, brings his Savior unto the world. Who does God choose? Leah. Do you remember who Leah was? Leah was tricked. Jacob, Jacob, this is Judah's dad, was tricked into marrying uh, Judah's mom. I'm the son of the tricked woman. Snuck her into bed probably after there was a lot of wine and a lot of veils, right? So here's Leah. She's the, uh, she's the wife of obligation. She's the homely one. You had, you had one was pretty and one had bad eyes, whatever that meant. She was the unloved one. She was the marginal one, the rejected one. Here's Leah. When God wants to bring a savior unto the world, he chooses the marginalized. He chooses the weak. He chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. When I say my story is about your story, God's like, yep, I'm going to use you. All you need is need. All you need is to be able to say, yep, I'm, I'm a Leah of the world because it was through Leah that the Lion of Judah came into the world. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for what you want to do, how your story is going on in the lives of your people. Continue to lead us, Lord. Lead us. 
And Father, when I think about the change, it has to be a change that we all are daily saying, Lord, man, there's stuff that I have to put off today. Ways of thinking, doing, being. Lord, I, wanna, I need your help to, to abide in you and stay connected to you and not give myself unto, unto stuff that is selfish and, and, and things that are, um, are idols. But I want you to be the one who captivates my love, my heart, my attention. So do that for each person here, including myself, and we'll say thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.